in his booklet, How to Reach the West Again. Tim Keller writes this, everything is unprecedented once. Up until 1900, there had never been a fast-growing revival in a non-Western pre-Christian country. Then there was the Korean Presbyterian revival in 1907 and the East Africa Anglican revival in the 1930s. There was never a reformation until there was. There was never anything like the Great Awakening until there was. There's never been a fast-growing revival in a post-Christian secular society. That's our culture right now. But every great new thing is unprecedented until it happens. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is no reason to believe this promise has an expiration date. Now, do you believe that promise has an expiration date? Do you believe that at long last, the truth of God has run its course, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has finally met its match in our culture, and that it's now powerless and defeated? Do you believe that Jesus has decommissioned the Great Commission? That's, it's a, a relic from the past, like the Yorktown floating around over there in Charleston Harbor for people to come and tour and stare at uh, and imagine what it used to be. Listen, there was never a new creation you until there was. There was never a you that sought to live for the glory of God until there was. Or maybe those things are yet to be in your life, but that's just the point. Expect change. Expect change from the truth of the Word of God in your life. Expect change from the truth of the Word of God in the lives of other people. Unprecedented. Unexpected. These are the words that should suffuse our thoughts and our speaking when we are talking about the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm praying for. I am praying for unprecedented change among us. It seems to me that we have to do something different than we're doing now to win our culture for Christ. And that different thing may just be this, that we actually expect to be amazed and astonished by the Word of God, that we actually expect that others will be as well. That's my prayer. That's my hope for us this morning as we come once again to Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the last chapter in Matthew, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew or the passage is also printed in your bulletin. So when you found Matthew 28, let's stand together and hear read this beautiful, true word of God. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, this is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, We praise you that you're with us now. Spirit of God, come alongside your word now, we pray. Show your power. Amaze us. Astonish us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you surely know, on this, our 10th Sunday in the Great Commission, that Jesus has commanded his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples and to teach those disciples to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Therefore, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you are also a teacher. Whether you teach the truth of Jesus from a pulpit or in a classroom, or in your dining room, around your table, or in the bedroom of your children at night as you put them to sleep. And whether your audience is one person or 1,000, you must teach. As we have been seeing, teaching is not an easy task because whatever God ordains, Satan... Jesus said it simply, I came that they might have... Life and have it abundantly. Life to the full. Life that is inexplicably satisfying and very often exciting. As we wait expectantly for the day-by-day life that God has for us and that we can't predict, that's the life that Jesus comes to give you and me right now. It's what you can expect from following Jesus and obeying his commands. Jesus also says that our enemy comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the purpose that the enemy has for coming to you and to me. Even now in this moment, he seeks to to steal, kill, destroy, distort, distract everyone from the life-giving truth of Jesus. So, yes. Teaching comes with conflict. In the last two weeks, we've been looking at different ways, ways in which you and I can be victorious in this conflict that surrounds teaching so that we might teach effectively and for the glory of God. The first way we saw two weeks ago is to be compassionate. We have to be compassionate. The second thing we must be is welcoming. I I don't have time to recap these sermons, but I'll just tell you they're on our website You can listen to audio. You can watch the live stream of them. This morning, I'm going straight to the third way to be victorious in this conflict uh, uh, around teaching. And in case you haven't uh, figured out what that is, we must be expectant. We must be expectant. You know, compassionate, welcoming, and expectant. We've got to expect the Word of God to bring change. We have to teach as if we believe that the Word of God can bring change. I'm going to give you another snapshot of Jesus this morning. I feel like we're kind of going through this verbal photo album of Jesus. Oh, look, see that one? Remember? Yeah. 
that, that's the one where he was welcoming those people, those not-so-good people to come to him. Look, look, look at them. You can tell they're not so good, but, yeah, there's that one. And now look at these four snapshots. These are the ones where Jesus amazed and astonished people. Look at the expressions on their faces. Those are the snapshots we're going to look at this morning. The first one, Jesus is 12 years old. His parents have left Jerusalem. They're on their way back to Nazareth because all the Passover celebrations are over. They travel for a day and they discover Jesus isn't with them. He's not with his cousins. He's not with his other relatives. He's not with any of their friends. And so Mary and Joseph return to Jerusalem to look for Jesus. After three days, they find him. And where's Jesus? He's in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Okay, amazed and astonished. Try to imagine what that looked like on the faces of the teachers who were listening to Jesus teach, on the faces of all those that were listening. Fast forward. The next snapshot, Jesus is an adult. It's near the very beginning of his ministry. He's just called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples. And they go to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching. With authority, amazement, astonishment. Try to imagine it on the faces of those weekly synagogue attenders. Please imagine excitement and amazement in church. But that's what it is. Imagine the energy produced on that Sabbath morning. Fast forward to third snapshot. It's now halfway through his ministry. And Jesus returns to his hometown. And he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Astonishment. The teaching of Jesus. Fast forward, last one. It's the end of Jesus' ministry. He has set his face to Jerusalem. He's determined to go there and to die there on the cross. And so he takes these last opportunities to teach his disciples. And Mark tells us that the disciples were amazed at his words, and that they were exceedingly, exceedingly astonished. Look, when the word of God comes from the mouth of Jesus, it never fails to amaze and astonish. From the time he's 12 years old and to the very end of his life on this earth, whether the crowd is unknown to him or whether he's teaching those who know him best and with whom he is most intimate astonished and amazed because these people never expected it to happen until it did. You could say for them it was unprecedented considering the fact that it had been 400 years since God had spoken to them through a zealous, authoritative, fiery prophet like Elijah or Ezekiel or Isaiah. They only knew the dry as dust teaching of the scribes and Pharisees who were only teaching, interestingly enough, who were only controlling the narrative in order to build their own kingdoms. And all you can expect from that kind of teaching 
his boredom and guilt or both. But now there's amazement. There's astonishment over the teaching of the word of God. Now I'm going to look at these two words a little more closely. These words that both Peter and Matthew use to describe what they witnessed as they watched and listened to the crowds who watched and listened as Jesus taught. And I'm taking this closer look so that we together can get an idea of the intensity and energy of those teaching moments. And so that perhaps you and I will pray that God will replicate that intensity and energy among us and through us when we read and study and teach God's word. First word, astonished. It means to be filled with amazement to the point of being overwhelmed, to be struck dumb or silent as if by a blow or shock. Now that's what the word of God coming from the mouth of Jesus produced in those who were listening, this overwhelmed speechlessness. The second word, amazed. One English word can't even capture the emotion of this word. It takes four words in Hebrew and four words in New Testament Greek as well to express what it means to be truly amazed. And so its scripture originals range in meaning from amazement accompanied with terror and trembling to an astonishment full of perplexity, wonder, and awe, finally to joyous surprise. Everything. So so terror and trembling to joyous surprise. Astonished. Amazed. When you put these two words together, you come up with an overall feeling of, wow, wow. When God's word is studied, when God's word is taught rightly, because that's the nature of God's word. The the truth that represents God himself to us, the God of the universe, the word that communicates his good and perfect will. Of course, we say, wow, C.S. Lewis wrote in Surprised by Joy, a young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful in his reading. There are traps everywhere, Bibles laid open, millions of surprises, as Herbert says, fine nets and stratagems, God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. God, of course, is not unscrupulous. He only does what is right and good and best and true. But Lewis is very good at getting your attention and describing the power of the word of God. You better be careful because God promises that his word will not return to him void. It can overcome the strongest human will, even the will and determination to deny that there is even a God. Now, that's the power of the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. I love it. The Word of God can take care of itself and will do so if we preach it and cease defending it. 
See you that lion? They have caged him for his preservation. Shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion? What a clatter they make with their swords and spears. These mighty men are intent upon defending a lion. Oh, fools and slow of heart, open that door. Let the Lord of the forest come forth free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of all its adversaries. Come on, you love that one? That's a good one. And that's in no way to disparage apologetics. Uh, The need that we have to defend our faith, that's important. But it is to encourage us to not always be on the defensive. We can be on the offensive. Just let it go. Let the word of God go. Because when the spirit of God joins the word of God, power is produced. The apostle Paul knew that. He, He writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. Dunamis in Greek, dynamite, the word of God, it's the power of God. And as Paul traveled throughout uh, his world at that time, planting churches, he saw that power at work. And so he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh... We're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's the power of the Word of God. And that's the power that should give us great hope and great expectation and great motivation. Now I'm going to finish. <laughs> Not too soon, but soon enough. With four attitudes. Four attitudes that you and I uh, can have in ourselves. And when we do, we can expect power and change and amazement and astonishment. Not only when we study the Word of God, but when we teach it as well. So if you're already thinking, uh, yeah, right. Not going to happen. Repent. <laughs> The power is not in you. The power is in the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you know what? If we seek to emulate our Savior, why why shouldn't we expect similar results? So, why did Jesus' teaching amaze and astonish? First, because Jesus taught God's Word. Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, But the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. When you teach, have this attitude in you that you desire to speak God's word more than you desire to speak your own word. Listen, we like to hear ourselves talk, don't we? Come on. You know it's true. We like to pontificate to hold forth, to expound, and dare I say it, standing up here, to preach. Instead, seek God's word in every 
teaching opportunity that he gives you. Father, what are your words from your word for me in this moment? Jesus made this promise to his disciples. Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Above all else, we seek to speak the word of God because only his words can truly amaze and astonish. Secondly, Jesus amazed and astonished when he taught because he loved his father. Jesus says, I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Jesus loved his father. And when you and I have that attitude within ourselves, above all else, this love for the father, when our goal in our teaching is that those we teach love the father as well, I believe that people will be amazed and astonished at the word of God. Thirdly, Jesus amazed and astonished when he taught because all else, above all else, he sought that the will of the Father be done. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So when you and I have this attitude in ourselves, when we seek that the will of the Father be done and not our own will and not our own goals and not our own results, when we let those things go, when we let our wills go in, in favor of God's will, then I believe amazement and astonishment will accompany our teaching as people see the will of God. And fourthly and finally, Jesus amazed and astonished when he taught because he sought the glory of the Father. Jesus says this in prayer just before he dies in the upper room. Father, I glorified your name on earth. I glorified you on earth. When you teach above everything else, seek the glory of the Father. See, teaching is a trap for glory seekers. They take the teaching opportunity to gain glory for themselves. Pat's on the back. Do this before you teach. Determine you won't have any of it. Whether you teach one or 1,000, you don't want the glory. You're not seeking the glory, not for yourself. You don't want the pats on the back. And here's the, here's the truth anyway. According to Scripture, God's not going to share His glory with you anyway. He's not. He doesn't share His glory with anyone. So if you really want to amaze people, if you really want to astonish people when you teach, make sure that you're appointing them to the glory of God because God and His glory, when we get even a little glimpse of it, there's nothing more amazing and nothing more astounding than the glory of God. I'm going to close with this. This past Monday, I watched a documentary on the singer, Sam Cooke. You know Sam Cooke, right? Darling, you send me. Don't know much about history. 
working on the chain gang. Yeah, don't worry, I'm not going to give up my day job. You know Sam Cooke. But he wrote another song, a really different kind of song, and then he sang it. And the song is called A Change Is Gonna Come. And I've been singing that song all week. He sings, it's been a long, a long time coming. But I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. I have to believe that, that a change will come. A change must come. You and I, we must know and love and treasure the Word of God now more than ever. Our culture requires it of us. And when we open the pages of God's Word, you and I should expect to be amazed and astonished by its truth. Because in the Word, we're seeking Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Friend. And when we see Jesus in the Word of God, the Spirit will change us, amaze us, astonish us. I have to believe that. I have to believe that that will change the way that we teach God's Word. We know that Word can and that Word does bring change. We know it brings change because it changed us. We've got to expect that. We've got to pray for that. We know that the Word of God astonishes and amazes. We must expect that. We must pray for that. And I have to believe that our amazement and our astonishment over God's Word and our zeal to teach it for His glory is going to bring change to our desperately broken, heading for destruction culture. Listen, if I don't believe these things, I just have to give up in despair. I have to. If I don't believe change is going to come, i got to give up in despair. But guess what? I do not intend to give up in despair as long as I can hold this word in my hand. As long as I can grip it and read it and teach it. As long as there is a Holy Spirit of God, I am not going to give up in despair. And I pray that you don't either. We may not expect it. And it may be unprecedented. Because it's never happened before. But let's believe together that change is going to come. Let's pray. Father, give us hope. The ability to believe that change can and will come. Not because of who we are, Lord. Not because of our words because of who you are, because of your word, because of the truth of it, and because of the power of your spirit. Bring change in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.